Well, good morning. Um, so as you've heard, my name is Robin Silsom. I'm a minister over in Scotland. Uh, and before I read the passage out, I just want to say uh, it is a joy, it is a delight to be with you here this morning. Um, and although I'm many miles from home, uh, it's like being with family, uh, being here uh, with you. I've experienced that. I've experienced the love and the care and the just the, just the fact that it, um, all of you are my brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, and I felt that. And um, it is, it's just a joy to be with you. It's just a joy to be with you. It is a joy to uh, be with you on uh, Wilhelmina's baptism. Uh, and what a joy it is. What, how good is God to be, we get to share in welcoming Wilhelmina uh, into God's family. Um, and so it's just been, it's, what a wonderful uh, time we've had already. Um, so I'm, I'm thrilled. And in God's kindness, uh, this passage that I'm going to read, um, really, it's about one of the things that I'm, I want us to address is life in the kingdom of God, which is one of the, one of the things I'm going to be talking about. And what a perfect thing to be talking about as we welcome somebody into the covenant family of God to be thinking of what is life now like for Wilhelmina and for all of us in the kingdom of God. So I'm going to read it and then I'm going to pray for us uh, and then we'll think about this passage together. So it's 2 Samuel uh, chapter 23, uh, starting at verse 8. I think it'll be on the screens. If not, you can follow on your phone or if you've, got, if you've brought a Bible uh, with you. So let me read it for us. Uh, these are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Joshua Basabeth. Attackmanite. He was chief of the three. He wielded his spear against 800 whom he killed at one time. And next to him, among the three mighty men, was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, son of Ahohe. He was with David when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle, and the men of Israel withdrew. He rose and struck down the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clung to the sword. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day and the men returned after him only to strip the slain. And next to him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Hararite. The Philistines gathered together at Lehi where there was a plot of ground full of lentils and the men fled from the Philistines. But he took his stand in the midst of the plot and defended it and struck down the Philistines, and the Lord worked a great victory. And three of the thirty chief men went down and came about harvest, and came about harvest time to David at the cave of Adullam, when a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then at Bethlehem. And David said longingly, Oh, that someone would give me water, to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and carried and brought it to David. But he would not drink of it. He poured it out to the Lord and said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of the men who went at the risk of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. These things the three mighty men did. Now, Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zeruiah, was chief of the thirty, and he, he wielded his spear 
against 300 men and killed them and won a name beside the three. He was the most renowned of the 30 and became their commander, but he did not attain to the three. And Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was a valiant man of Kabzeel, a doer of great deeds. He struck down two Ariels of Moab. He also went down and struck down a lion in a pit on a day when snow had fallen. And he struck down an Egyptian, a handsome man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, but Benaiah went down to him with a staff and snatched the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. These things did Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and won a name beside the three mighty men. He was renowned among the 30, but he did not attain to the three. And David set him over his bodyguard. Asahel, the brother of Job, was one of the 30. Elhanan, the son of Dodo of Bethlehem. Shammah of Harod, Elikah of Harod, Helez the Paltite, Ira the son of Ikesh of Tekoa, Abiza of Anathoth, Mabunai the Hushathite, Zalman the Ahahite, Maharai of Netophah, Heled the son of Bana of Netophah, Atai the son of Ribai of Gibeah of the people of Benjamin, Benaiah of Pirathon, Hidai of the brooks of Gash. Abi Alban the Arabathite, Asmapheth of Bahirun, Eliabah the Shalbanite, the sons of Jashan, Jonathan, Shammah the Hararite, Ahayim the son of Shahar the Hararite, Eliphalet the son of Ahasbai of Makar, Eliam the son of Ahithophel the Gilanite, Hezro of Carmel, Parai the Arbite, Igal the son of Nathan of Zobah, Benai the Gadite, Zelek the Ammonite. Naharai of Beeroth, the armor-bearer of Joab, the son of Zeruiah, Ira the Ithrite, Gerub the Ithrite, Uriah the Hittite, 37 in all. This is God's word. And we give thanks this morning of the privilege that we have to read it today. Let me pray for us. Almighty God, we do give you great praise and thanks for your word, the Bible. And we do praise you and thank you that this is the primary way that you have decided to speak to us. And so I pray this morning that you would open our eyes, open our hearts, open our ears to receive what you have to say to us. I pray that you would teach us, that you would rebuke us, that you would correct us, that you would train us in righteousness and equip us for every good work that you have called for us. I pray that we would leave here as changed people. And so we ask for the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to be at work in us as we think through what you have to say to us. We ask for this in the name of Christ. Amen. Now, one of the cool things uh, that I'm going to say is um, I'm going to talk about stories, which is actually really great because yesterday uh, we were at this great uh, thing yesterday uh, here in the church thinking about our own story. And as, as providence would have it, that's, that's one of the things I'm going to open up talking about is how everyone loves stories. Because stories, our own story, and the stories of people in history, they do captivate us. They do captivate us, don't they? Don't they? And I, 
And I think that's especially true, especially true when we look back at historical figures. I mean, especially when we think about people in the history of our nation, perhaps, or history of the world who've achieved great things. You just think in, in, in the world, we, maybe you've heard of, in, in the UK, we have Marie Curie. Marie Curie was a famous woman who made great breakthroughs, persistent breakthroughs in radiology, which has transformed uh, the way we have cancer treatment now. Uh, even in Nashville, you think of Rosa Parks standing up to racism right here. And you think of the effect that that's had uh, throughout the US. Or if we go further back within our Christian heritage, you might think of uh, Martin Luther, who uh, stood up for the Bible as the authoritative word of God um, against the, what the Catholic Church were teaching back 500 years ago. Uh, we, we have a, a, a guy who had a big impact over here, a British guy, William Wilberforce. Uh, you might have heard of him. He had a quest to abolish slavery. And more recently, within probably our own lifetimes, we always hear, don't we, about the ongoing stories of our military in, in protecting our country and uh, the millions who've lost their lives, maybe just even over the last hundred years or so. These stories, true stories, uh, they impact us. And, and rightly, we think highly of what they've done. And we want to, and we do, don't we? We want to honour their, their efforts, what they've done, their achievements, uh, so to speak. But the reason we do that, the reason we do that, it's more, it's more actually than just what they did. It's more than just what they did because what we actually honour is, is sometimes not only the achievement, as good as the achievement is, but the things that were actually matter to us is it's the character of the individuals in order to achieve what they did. What they had to, it's what they had to go through to get to their achievement that strikes a chord with us. Because the achievement and the character of the person, they're not disconnected. They sort of come together. If, if you think of the military, it's, it's the sacrifice of the soldier. The sacrifice, that character of being willing to put themselves first for the good of the nation that they're fighting for. It's that character of service. It's the perseverance of Marie Curie. It's the courage of Rosa Parks that, that makes the achievement impressive. I suppose that's because intrinsically, we all know that these character traits are good things. Self-sacrifice, perseverance, courage, they're good. That's why uh, when kids, when they're at school and they're educated about uh, Rosa Parks, uh, that's why in schools we, we celebrate her achievements, but also we're celebrating her. It is tremendous. And at the same time as looking at what she did as being tremendous, we say, what a woman, what a woman. What, what moral substance she must have had. And we, we might even say to our children, you want to be like her. She's an excellent role model to follow. 
This passage is so relevant uh, to our lives today because here we get something similar. When we look at the acts and the character of these mighty men of King David, God's man. But there is a, there's a significant difference with how the Bible talks about these types of things compared with how the world talks about character and achievement. And that's what we're uh, going to be delving into today. Now, just to add a little bit of flavor of, of context to the book of uh, to Samuel, this chapter, chapter 23 of the second book, there's at the end of 2 Samuel, there's this kind of a summary section from chapters uh, 21 to 24. And if you were to read through those uh, chapters, on first read, it kind of appears like these, um, these chapters, they seem kind of, kind of odd in their placing, almost like they've kind of been ramshackled uh, together. But, but this is God's word, so we know that that's not the case. Uh, but however, they're, they're not in chronological order with the rest of the book. But what it, at the right at the end, what God does is he, he puts these four chapters there, uh, of end of 1 and 2 Samuel, and they're snapshots of David's life things that happened to Israel. And they're there as snapshots of what the kingdom of God is like. That's the purpose of them coming right at the end of 1 and 2 Samuel. Moments, if, moments in time of how the kingdom of God runs, how it reveals itself to the world around them, but to us as well. And so, as we look at this particular chapter, these mighty men of David, their character, their achievements, and how the Lord is at work through them, this is a snapshot to us of the kingdom of God. It is a snapshot of the kingdom of God, how the kingdom of God runs. It is a snapshot of how the kingdom of God reveals itself. And so whilst the Old Testament uh, context is different to today, these are big things for us to think about. Big things for us to think about. Because we want to know today, don't we? We, we want to know today, how does the kingdom of God run? How is it revealed? And the answer, which is truly amazing, which we're going to delve into, is that the kingdom of God is revealed through his people. And so we're going to look at that, looking at three things. We're going to look at the Lord brings victory. We're going to look at the Lord brings victory through his mighty people. And then we're going to look at the Lord honours his mighty people. The Lord brings victory through his mighty people. And then he honours them. Now, before we jump into the passage itself, it, it is worth noting uh, Sometimes when we look at, at sections of the Bible, they're a little bit uh, like this. You'll have noticed there's kind of, it's kind of works. There's like brief lists uh, and brief descriptions of events that, that sort of seem out of the kilter. Where are we going? Uh, and there can be two ways to sort of address the passage. Uh, one way is that you can look at each short incident of each character individually and elaborate on the significance of that as an individual moment. I mean, 
one thing that you that's really interesting, right at the end of the very list, you notice Hariah the Hittite is mentioned at the end of the list. That's the man who David had killed after David had cheated on his wife, Bathsheba. You can make a great deal about that. I'm sure that he's still included. Uh, and it's not to say that that's not um, significant. Uh, and that perhaps may be something you might want to look into the characters individually. But alternatively... Uh, which is what we're going to do, is to look at the big ideas that tie all this whole chapter together. They tie the, char tie the ca characters together and the brief events. Why is there a list there at all? And why these particular stories? And back to the line, what does it teach us about the kingdom of God, how the kingdom runs, and how it's revealed? So the first thing I'm going to get to is... Uh, it is the Lord who brings the great victory, the Lord. Whilst the acts of these mighty men are very impressive, uh, the strength of character astounding, uh, and we think, what amazing men uh, these guys are, which we will look, to, look at it. It is worth point, pointing out from the very off that it is the Lord who brings the great victory. It is the Lord. We must, make, we must get that clear from the very start. It is the Lord who brings the victory. Verse 10, you can look with me. The Lord brought about a great victory that day. Verse 12, and the Lord worked a great victory. The victory is brought by the living God and belongs to him. He's victorious. He reigns. He rules. And it's he who brought it about. And it is there as a little prod to us. If we were tempted to idolize these men, if we're tempted to venerate them, this is a prod. As fantastic as these achievements are, it would not have been impossible without living God. He brought the victory. And, and actually, this is nothing new. It's not even new for David. The Lord worked a great victory for him as well. If you were to look back in 2 Samuel, in verse, in chapter 8, we read, and the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. Twice it says in that chapter, verse 6 and verse 14, and the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. Now, it's more than likely, actually, perhaps in chapter 8, that these men we read of here in 23 were probably present at that battle. It even says that David's victory in chapter 8 was a gift from the Lord. He gave it. He gave the victory as a blessing, as a gift, as a free gift. And here the language is very similar. It is the Lord who brings the victory for his king, through his king's mighty men. The Lord takes precedence. Without him, it would not happen. They are utterly, completely, and solely dependent on him to be victorious. This is life in the kingdom. This is life in the kingdom of God. It's how it, the kingdom of God runs. It's how the kingdom of God is revealed by the Lord bringing victory. It has always operated in this way and will always operate in this manner for all time. It is littered with victory. And what else, the most victorious moment when the King of Kings is victorious? 
over death, when he's raised to life and he has victory over sin, over the world and the devil. When the church was established in the book of Acts, it is the Lord who brings that victorious event about. When you called on Christ, it was the Lord who worked a great victory in your life. When we see brothers and sisters in Christ doing wonderful things for God, it is the Lord who is at work bringing victory and the praise and the thanks is due to him. He is the one working victory. This is life in the kingdom of God. And we just perhaps sometimes need to remind ourselves we're not the answer. It's not our efforts, although used by God, that are the catalyst of spiritual success. It's not our skill that wins the day. Rather, the victory belongs and is worked out by the Lord our God through us. Second thing, the Lord works this great victory through his mighty people. Now we're in Nashville of course. And I've noticed here, it seems to me like, I don't know if this is true, but it seems like everybody I bump into can play an instrument. Is that right? <laughs> now, so I've got a great, I've got, as, as Providence would have it, I, I've got a great instrument, I've got a great illustration of how the Lord uses us as his instruments. Now, when a, now when a musician uh, plays an instrument, you think, the instrument that a musician plays, it has to have the features of that instrument. Take a piano. A piano has to be piano-like, doesn't it? Has to have the features of a piano. It, it has to have keys, it has to have strings in the back, pedals. Uh, that's what makes it a piano. To be clear, if it doesn't have those things, it's not a piano, it's something else. It has to have all the characteristics of a piano to be played by a pianist so that the melody or the tune can be heard. God's kingdom has an immeasurable amount of melodies that need to be heard. And the one that we're looking at is the melody of victory. It is the melody of victory that he wants to play, that he will play. But the instrument he uses to play his melody of victory, his melody, the instruments he uses are his people. We are instruments in the hands of the Redeemer. And he wants to play that melody of victory through us. But, but, just like a piano has to be piano-like, for him to work through his people, we must have the features and the right characteristics for him to play that melody through us. We must be his people. We must look like his people. David's mighty men are the right instruments and the melody of victory comes through them. In Old, in Old Testament language, we get this term mighty men. But New Testament language, these men, they're disciples. That's what they are. The character of these men is not new because what we see is exactly the character of what Jesus asks of us. And so what we're going to do is we're going to have a brief look at, at three things about these Old Testament disciples, these mighty men. The first thing is loyalty and perseverance. That's the first thing. Uh, verses 8 to 12, we read about this special group of three, almost like the king's uh, most 
trusted in a group. We get uh, Josheb Basabeth, verse 8, we'll call him JB for short. He kills, he kills 800 uh, men at one time. Now, 800 men at one time. I don't know if you ever, maybe if some of you are boxing fans. Now, if you ever watch a, watch a boxing match and that's just one man, this is 800 men coming at one man and he, he takes them all out. That requires perseverance. I can imagine that he would have been exhausted to get that victory. Must have been exhausting. Eleazar verse 9 and Shammah in verse 11, they stay fighting when all the other men of Israel have run away. It is outstanding loyalty. It is perseverance when the chips are down. Fighting for your king requires perseverance. It requires loyalty. And as New Testament disciples, we must persevere. No doubt, we will experience times in life when we find that hard. When we want to give up. And maybe we might have even seen others who've given up on the faith and run away from it all. Maybe this morning, you might even be thinking, is this all worth it? Is it worth it? I just want to say to you, if, if you feel like that this morning, if you're questioning whether this is worth it, let me tell you, don't give up on Christ. Don't give up on him. He won't give up on you. Persevere. Fight for him. Because then you'll be his instrument. And he'll play that melody of victory through you. People will see his victorious melody played through you. Second feature. Second feature of these mighty men of disciples, they love their king. They love their king. In verses uh, 13 to 17, we get another group of three uh, working together. We don't actually hear their, what, their, what their names are, but what they do is equally as astonishing. You just look with me from verse 15. Uh, David, he sort of... I, when you read this remark he gives, it almost, I think he gives like, it's almost like a passing remark. Or that someone would give me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. And I think it's more kind of things that he was hoping to have once the battle is over. I don't think these three unnamed men quite catch the tone in which David speaks. Because they go and do it. They break through the Philistine lines, get to the well near the gate of Bethlehem. They get him a cup of water and bring it all the way back. David is astonished. He's astonished and he won't drink it. He pours it out before the Lord. When he does that, is an, when he does that, that is an act of worship. Because what he's saying is to God, he's actually in that moment saying to the Lord, I am not worthy of the type of sacrifice that these three men have done for me. I'm not worthy of that. What these men have done for me 
is I'm not worthy of three of my men doing that for me. How much must these mighty men have loved their king to go to such lengths to get him a glass of water? I mean, it almost when we read it, it seems a little bit outrageous over the top that they're driven purely by the devotion and love for David, a sacrificial love, love for their king that perhaps it might seem a little bit over the top. Is over the top love for your king a bad thing? No. Right. As disciples, aren't we called in the great commandment, love, the God, love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Their actions, they do look over the top, but that's a wonderful thing. David is taken aback by their devotion to him and he worships the Lord because of it. Have we ever been motivated just by sheer love for Jesus? To be over the top for him. There's all sorts of ways we could do that. There's all sorts of ways uh, we could do that. Wouldn't that, be, wouldn't that be a wonderful thing if you were known as having over the top love for Jesus? Are we ready? Are we ready to go beyond what might to the world seem sensible and rational just because we love our King? Could I encourage you this morning to consider that kind of love? The reason? Because the Lord will play his victorious melody through us when we love him. Last one. Courageous risk-taking. In verses 18 to 23, we get Abishai and Benaiah. They do great deeds uh, and they take great risks. You look with me in verse 20. Uh, Benaiah is described as a valiant fighter. It means he's, he's bold, he's courageous. I mean, he takes on a lion. I mean, and another man with his bare hands. But in one sense, what's, what we see here is they're, they're just copying their king. They're just emulating him. David fought Goliath when he was a boy, and he also killed a lion. You can read that in 1 Samuel 17. His men, they're just copying their king. They take risks for him and great things happen because they emulate him, they imitate him. As disciples, we're called to do the same. We're to emulate our king. We're to imitate him. There's no more courageous man than Jesus Christ. And yet we are to emulate him. Mark 8, take up your cross and follow me. It requires a lot of courage to do that but it is imitating the saviour, taking up your cross, sacrificing our own desires. It takes courage. It takes courage to fight for Christ. In prayer, talking to your friends about Jesus takes courage. It takes courage to put your self-desires down, to kill them, to sacrifice them, to sacrifice reputation for his name. These men are the instruments that the Lord uses to bring a great victory. To bring a great victory. And I'd go, I'd go as far to say 
if we're not, you know, the, the, this melody of victory, it will always be heard. It will always be heard. And I suppose we do realize there is a big challenge here that if the Lord, you can, you can put yourself in that position and the Lord will play it through you. But if you, if you choose not to do this, to live as a disciple, his victorious melody will always be heard. That will be stopped. He'll just play it through someone else. He'll just, who does persevere, who does love him, and who is courageous. Why couldn't that be you? Of course it could. Because the Spirit of God lives in you. This is an invitation today to be that disciple who in Christ's strength perseveres, loves their king, and has great courage. What might Jesus Christ do through this church? What might he do through you? There is no end to how Jesus can use each one of us and this body to bring a great victory. No end to reach Nashville, to reach Tennessee and to reach the world for Christ. There is no end to how the Lord might use you to play that victorious melody as you become an instrument in the hands of your Redeemer. Persevere. Love your King. Be courageous. Final thing I'm going to say. The Lord honours his mighty people. The Lord honours his mighty people. Now, it's in, our, it's in the tradition in the UK, and I think you've got something uh, similar over here, but in, in, it's our, in our tradition, that uh, they have this thing called the, uh, the New Year's Honours List. And what happens is the, the monarch of our nation, uh, she, she, um, she, he, <laughs> he honours uh, people at the start of every year who've done great things for the nation. And I think you'll understand the same kind of thing. I think for military, you'll have medals of honour, people that uh, get honoured. Now, when you look, the funny thing about the UK when we do this is the kind of reasons that people get honoured. It's kind of a mixed bag. There's some people get honoured and you think, really, is that, is that really worth celebrating? Uh, uh, you know, and then there's others, it's kind of the nurses who've dedicated their life to caring for people or the care home workers and others who've been pillars of community who never did it for themselves, but you realise actually they do deserve that kind of recognition. They never did it to be recognised to receive a, an honour. And from verse 24 in our reading today, we get this big, long list of names. I think I, I tried my best to pronounce them all. Um, we get this big, long list of names of David's mighty men who've served their king. And the majority of them, this is all we read about them. We don't actually know exactly what they did. We know because they're included that they must have fought for David, but we there's no record of all of them of how, of how they contributed. But we know because they're there that they did the, that they, were, they persevered, they loved their king and they were courageous, not for themselves, but for his kingdom. It demonstrates a principle 
that Jesus states in the gospel. The last should be first and the first last. Because these men, they didn't know that they were, their names were going to be written down in the book. They were willing to be last to lose their life and their very names are remembered, included in God's inspired word for us still to be reading about 3,000 years later. This list, it's like a roll call of honour. They were willing to be last and now their names are remembered in God's word. This is what we're learning about the kingdom of God about how it runs and how it's revealed. John the Baptist had the same attitude. Remember John, Baptist in John 3, when talking about Jesus, he, he says about Jesus, that Jesus must become greater and he says, I must, become, I must become less. And yet of John the Baptist, Jesus says that among those born of women, there's no one greater than John. John is bestowed with honour from Jesus, but he himself was ready to become less so that all the glory was given to his king. That's what these men are doing. They're just like that, willing to, die, to fight and be forgotten for the glory of Jesus. Now, I just wonder, we all love to be praised. Even those things that, you know those things that, that we do that go unseen? Secretly, we love to be praised for them, patted on the back. I know uh, in my own heart, I find this deeply challenging because sometimes I think, how do I want to be known by others? How do you want to be known? In my worst moments, it's so that people praise me. Now, I just want to share a, a very personal uh, story. Uh, three to four years ago, 2019, um, it was my granddad's funeral. And I'm guessing you still have this tradition in, in the States where the younger men of the family carry uh, the coffin into the church and out again. And when I was walking into the church, it felt heavy. There was grief. There was sorrow. There was tears. But when I carried him out of the church, I was filled with praise and I felt an honour to carry him. A man of faith, a godly man. And I think back to the honour I felt for him because of how he'd lived his life. A man of faith who'd loved his king. What, that's what his life had been about. And I now think to myself, what do I want my life to be remembered for? Because we're talking about these mighty men. They're honoured in the book for how they served their king. Wouldn't we love that people to say that about us? About this church? Wouldn't we love people to say, man, they love Jesus there. They really love their king. They're not self-seeking or after anything. They just want to love on people. They just love who he is. They do anything for him. They're so loyal. They really live out lives that demonstrate that. You can see it in them when you, when you meet them. Isn't that what we want our lives to be about? That our lives would be about serving our king like these men served David. 
That's real honour. That's where real honour comes from. And so, as we draw, as I draw in for a close this morning, we've learned what we've been thinking about the kingdom of God, how the kingdom of God runs, how it's revealed. Firstly, we grounded ourselves. It is the Lord who brings the victory. He reigns, he rules, he's in charge. It all belongs to him. It's not down to us. The biggest victory we see is at the cross and the resurrection when he defeats death and sin and the evil one. But that victory comes through his people. The loving, those who love their king, who persevere and are courageous. And he plays that victorious melody through them. Instruments in the hands of the Redeemer. And then we came to honour. Those who humble themselves to serve their king, willing to finish last, will receive great honour. We would love to be known as people of that. Now our names probably won't get a... Uh, in 200 years from now, I wonder which of us uh, will still be talked about. Probably none of us, to be honest. Uh, our names will not, won't be written in Scripture. Nobody will remember what we did in 200 years. Unless we're the next Rosa Parks or Marie Curie, the next Billy Graham or Charles Spurgeon. Nobody will remember who we are, but our names will be written down in the most important book. Our names will be written down in the Lamb's book of life for all eternity. And if, if we ever think about that, is remember, the Lamb's book of life, that is Jesus' book. It is his book that he's written. And your name is down in there. You're honoured in the book that he wrote. The most important book of all, the Lamb's book of life for all eternity, honoured by him. And your name's already written down. Your name is already written down. It is engraved in the palm of his hands. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. You're our King. You deserve all honour and praise and glory and thanks. It belongs to you. You reign and you rule. And all of victory belongs to you. And we're indebted to you. We praise you for that marvellous victory. The victory that all of the victories point to the victory that we see at the cross of Christ, the victory that we see when you were raised from the dead. But Lord, we give you great praise and thanks that you've so worked it that you, you use flawed people like us. You use us as your instruments in your hands to play that melody of victory out. And we long to be used by you. We know that in our own hearts, there's times when we, when we don't, when we, we struggle, would you work so in us to help us to persevere? Give us a deepening love for you, our King, and give us courage in the face of adversity. Make us prayerful. Help us to fight for you. Help us to be willing to be last so that we could be first 
to give up, give up of ourselves for your great name and, glo- and glory to be, to be lifted high. And so I pray uh, that you would take this with us, that you would open our eyes and our hearts to live more in tune and align ourselves to what you want to do in our lives. We ask for this in the name of Christ. Amen.